0: Uh, if this is your first time with us, we've embarked upon a, an incredible journey so far this year, and that is uh, to go through one book of the Bible each Sunday morning. And uh, this morning, really not that big of a deal. Micah has seven chapters. So last Sunday, when we did the book of Isaiah, 66 chapters, that was a little bit more of a daunting task. And so uh, this, uh, this morning, we, we might view it as we've got a little bit easy to, to understand this book. But um, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the, the prophets. Uh, these, uh, the, it's this section of the Old Testament uh, with all of the, the books that are titled after names. And within those names, you have five major prophets and 12 minor prophets for a so a grand total of 17 prophetic books with Jeremiah writing both Jeremiah and Lamentations. And so you have 17 books that, I'll be honest, this is, uh, this is just our fifth book of the 17. And I, I'm going to warn you, uh, you may find that this section of the Bible is hard to, uh, not to stomach, but just to just not, I'll be honest, not to get bored with as we continually go through the prophetic messages every Sunday, because what are they doing? They're saying, this is God, God's covenant. This is how you haven't uh, measured up to God's covenant. And so you need to repent. There's exile coming. Uh, there's, uh, there's Assyria coming. There's Babylon, Babylon coming. Uh, and it, it might seem just really overwhelmingly harsh almost. But you need to understand there's a certain way in which we we want to view these prophetic books, and just to do so, let's, let's let's recap what we've learned already from the five that we've looked at. Remember, the prophets were people that spoke a timely message. They spoke a specific message at a specific time to a specific people at a specific place. And so as we've come to each one of the books, we've wanted to understand that that specific context, but you remember we've said that as believers today walk in the Spirit that we are, in one sense, the modern-day prophets, because the Spirit of God moves us and calls us to a place where we speak also a specific message to a specific people at a specific time, at a specific place, and I've, I've encouraged you to begin looking for God to use you Maybe not to even... I mean, God's probably not calling you to preach a sermon, but God is calling you to speak His truth into the lives of the people around you or the situations that you face. And the Spirit of God is sufficient for these things in your life because I can't be with you everywhere you go. Even your your best friends, your accountability partners, your Sunday school classes can't be with you wherever you go. You need the Spirit of God to fulfill this calling. But it is a calling on every single one of you who know, know Christ. And so I hope that, that you've prayed as I, Isaiah did. Lord, send me. Send me to the hurting. Send me to those who are on the brink of a critical decision. Send me to those who are hopeless. And, and like we've already said in this service today, that's what this world needs from us. They need people who are willing to run into their brokenness. And so we've learned that we are the modern day prophets but then secondly we've learned also that when God speaks judgment he also speaks hope. This shapes the way we think about God's provision. you see in Jesus God is both judging our sin and bringing hope to sinners and as we join God's mission we don't we don't just go and speak blanket condemnation over people but instead we speak truth and invite people to trust in a context of a loving relationship that that's That's how we are to do life as believers. We need to be like God in that way, balancing grace and truth and speaking, not being afraid to speak the message of judgment, but letting people know that Christ is the one who has taken that judgment for us, and He alone is our hope. But then, finally, one of the things that we've seen, uh, especially last week as we looked at the book of Isaiah, that our habits of worship shape who we are. Our habits of worship shape who we are. Who or what we worship will influence what we value, what we believe, and how we act. And we we talked about, and we'll talk about some more today, that it was God's design for Israel that by following the covenant that He gave them on on Mount Sinai, that they would be made into a specific type of people. That as they saw the world around them, as they saw the nations around them, that they would look at God's covenant, they would look at the nations around them, and they would say yes to God and to His covenant. And in saying yes, and in following His mandates for worship, that they would be transformed into a certain type of people. Because with every choice we make, we are choosing to become a certain type of person. We will either be a person who responds or, or contributes to the brokenness of this world, or a person who responds to the brokenness of this world with truth. We're either contributing to brokenness or we are contributing to restoration. And so God's design for us is the same as Israel in that sense. And that we are, as we gather here this morning, we are gathering to worship and praise God, not as some kind of ritualistic, meaningless, we just sing the same songs every week, we just come and we go through the motions every week. No, no, you need to recognize that as you come today and you sing, you are declaring your hope and your trust in a living God. And as you declare that hope and trust, He is transforming you. And He is making you into the kind of person that the people around you really need. And folks, like like at this point in my life, I can't get beyond that. You know why? Because as I talk to you and as I live in my own house, I'm continually faced with the reality that I am not sufficient for these things. <laughs> I don't have all the answers. I mean, I mean I I absolutely I absolutely felt like a coward just a couple of weeks ago standing face-to-face with dear friends Travis and Haley Northey and the loss of their son, who should have been at BBS tonight. I absolutely had no words to say, which is not a bad thing, okay? We need to understand that. But at the same time, there is brokenness and tragedy and hopelessness in this world. And if you're not walking in the Spirit, you might think that you've got all the answers. And you go in and you just speak and you're just wounding people with the sovereignty of God. You don't even realize it. You just go in and you throw a Romans 8.28 hand grenade in there and it does more damage than, it, than good because we don't even pay attention to the people around us. Now this is, this is my particular struggle. Okay, I'm not saying this is yours, but this is just me so I, I just felt utterly hopeless. And, and, then, and then just to come home and to face situations that we face just in our own community, to face situations that I face in my own home, I want to be, I want to be the kind of husband and father and man and pastor that my wife and my kids, my church family, my community need me to be. I, I want them to see Jesus in me. And you can't manufacture that You can't just make it happen. But instead, it happens as you come and you worship and you fix your eyes on the character of God and you hear his promises and you look for Jesus and you pray and you give and you fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's where the transformation happens. That's where the call comes. That's where the shaping of God's Spirit has its most powerful impact. And so when you come to worship, you, you cultivate a habit of coming to be here on a Sunday morning or to take part in small group uh, Sunday school classes or you, or you come on Wednesday nights. What, whatever your habits are, you're choosing. You're choosing because that's how God wired us. And God does not want us to be confused about how He has Created us, and we could say more. But these are the main things that we've seen. These, these major and minor prophets. Uh, they are. They are. Uh, these are the messages that we are seeing continuously in them. And we talked about how, uh, with each new, I mean, with each covenant that God has given, it's it's like this machine. You go to the optometrist's office. I actually found out this week. This is called a phoropter. A phoropter. Uh and, uh, and what, what, the, what the optometrist does, he puts it up to your face and he shows you the letters and he, he clicks. And as he clicks, it, goes, it gets either clearer or fuzzier, right? And you're supposed to tell him when it gets clearer. Well, each one of God's covenants is like God clicking and making his plan and his mission and his character clearer for us to see. And so, when, when the Bible uh, calls us and says, For those of you who have ears to hear, let them let hear. For those of you who have eyes to see, let them see. If you're not seeking and you're not listening, guess what? You're not going to hear and you're not going to see. And so, that's what these prophets are doing. They're continually pointing us to our own, to Israel's need to, to repent, for our need to repent, for Israel's need to flee idolatry, for our need to flee idolatry and to return to the covenants of God. Creation fall. Redemption, restoration. We've seen God has been continuously long-suffering and patient with His people, and so we want to dive into Micah this morning to see how God is going to display His character through this prophet. And let's so let's just go directly to Micah chapter one, verse one. Micah chapter one, verse one. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth. In the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So let's once again let's get our, our footing here. Okay, and so uh, so Micah was this prophet who was from southern Israel. That's uh, that's uh, traditionally called Judah. And the, tri- uh, the ten tribes of the north and the two tribes of the south had split. And you have northern Israel, which is just simply called Israel. And you have southern Israel, which is called Judah. Northern Israel has a capital, and that capital is Samaria. You see that in, that first, uh, in the, in the last, w- last words of the first verse there. And then southern Israel had a capital, and that capital was Jerusalem. And so Micah is prophesying, he's in the south, but he's prophesying to both northern Israel and southern Israel. And so he was from this small town, and he had contemporaries like Isaiah. And that's why we come to Micah after we've done Isaiah, is because we can assume that Micah and Isaiah had some degree of interaction with each other, or at least as prophets, uh, they had heard each other's messages. And so Isaiah, uh, like Micah, or Micah like Isaiah, saw specific problems with Israel that God strengthened him or called him to address And first of all, let's think about uh, those problems, the specific context in which Micah was called to speak. First of all, that false worship or idolatry, and we've, we've said this, false worship or idolatry makes you a part of the world's problems rather than a part of the solution. We saw it in the book of Judges. We saw it in the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Israel, when they strayed from the pattern of biblical worship, they would become just like... Basically, an imitation of the, of the nations of Canaan around them. We saw horrible things from the nation of Israel. Child sacrifice. Worship of golden calves and other, uh, other deities made by human hands. They would go to the temple in Jerusalem and they would pray to God. And then they would run down uh, to another another pagan temple and they they would pray to the gods of Egypt for the harvest. There was this duplicity and hypocrisy in Israel that was manifested in their worship. Namely, their idolatry, their false worship. And so Micah calls this out. But then he also saw that, that secondly, that uh, this, these wicked and unethical practices and leadership. Now, just like America today, leadership is typically a mirror of the values of the people. Let me say that again. Leadership in Israel, as it is in America today, is typically a mirror of the values of the people. We may not like what we see when we look at the United States government, but we've got to recognize that in a representative democracy, that those people, they're, they're us. We, 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 we are like them a lot more than we would like to admit. And in Israel, you had these kings who would go and they would do these horrible things and they would... Uh, nurtured I, this idolatrous spirit. They would go and they would uh, be, act like pagans themselves. And yet they were supposed to be kings who guarded the covenant and led the people of God to worship God. So Micah called this out. They would also, uh, their business owners there in Israel, they would, they would abuse the poor people in the community by letting, letting them get enslaved to debt. And they would go and they'd take their land. Uh, because of these great debts, and they just didn 't care about the poor altogether, but then even their prophets, these men who were supposed to, men and women who were supposed to speak the words of God, these prophets would basically they 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 became like the uh, like a like a televangelist or like a uh, they became kind of like a a fortune teller on TV send me your money i 'll give you a blessing that kind of give and take. Like, if you had the right amount of money, then I as a prophet, a prophet of Yahweh, a prophet of God, I can speak favorable words and blessings upon you. This was Israel in their time. And Micah could not stand what he had seen. Their leaders were power-hungry, greedy, and unjust. Their prophets could be bought for the right price. And these realities were a product of generations of half-heartedness And covenant disobedience. And so Micah spoke a message, a very clear message, into that context. Micah uses familiar stories of Israel's history to provoke images of judgment. So look at uh, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1. Verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1. Hear, you peoples. All of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from His holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of His place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under Him. The valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. And so when the people of God would hear Micah speak using imagery like this, the Lord coming out of His high place and coming down to tread upon the high places of the earth, it it invoked for them thoughts of when God came to Mount Sinai and gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. Because the people of Israel were there at the bottom of the mountain. They were looking up, and a cloud had covered the top of the mountain. There was lightning and thunder. There was earthquakes, and they got scared. That's why they built the golden calf. They melted down their treasures and had Aaron build the golden calf. It was a very horrible experience. But God had come near to them at that time to bless them by giving them his covenant. Micah says, oh, the Lord's coming near again, but it's not for blessing. The Lord is coming near because he is tired of your idolatry. He is not coming with blessing and comfort, but he is coming with judgment and correction. And so Micah speaks this message of, ju- that, of judgment to them in chapters 1. And chapters two, and then throughout the rest of the book, it's just this very clear message that you are committing evil, you business owners, you leaders, you prophets. He addresses all of them and says, and says, essentially, you don't care about God. Because if you did, your life would look different. And ultimately, the consequence of this is the second thing that Micah says in Micah chapter, you can go to Micah chapter three, that sin. Always, always, always separates. And any child that has come and talked to me when we go through and we talk about baptism, that's that's what I want to stick in their mind about sin. Sin always separates. Why do I want that to stick in their mind? Because that's the de- the deception and the temptation from the enemy that oh well, this sin won't hurt anything. You can get away with this. It's small. It's not a big deal. Sin always separates. It always destroys relationships. It always breaks fellowship between you and God. Ultimately, sin is why the human race is broken and apart from God. Sin always separates. And look at the kind of impact it had on the people of Israel, namely upon the rulers and the prophets. Micah chapter 3, verse 4. Then they will cry to the Lord, but He will not answer them. He will hide His face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Verse 5, Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry, Peace! When they have something to eat, but declare war against Him who puts nothing in their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them, the seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. This is scary. And ultimately this, this points to the reality that between the end of the book of Malachi and the beginning of the book of, of, book of Matthew, how much how many years pass by? Years of silence. Who remembers? Four hundred years of silence. No vision from the people who are supposed to lead with vision. No words from God for the people, from the people who are supposed to speak the words from God. Sin always separates. If, if, if people were honest, I think this very reality is where a lot of us are. In the American church. We have been groomed in half-heartedness. Or we've been told that we can be autonomous as Christians, namely that we can just define Christianity on our own terms, and, and however whatever you want it to be, you can make it. Kind of kind of like Burger King Christianity. Just have it your way. That's 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 what that's what we've been taught. That's the culture in which we've been raised. And the problem is, is that God refuses to fit into a box that you create for Him to fit in. And so you show up, and I'm here with my Bible open. But because my life is not meeting up with what God has called me to be, namely to walk by faith, to live with my eyes fixed on Jesus to live in the community of the saints because of these things we don't hear god we we kind of we maybe even would say we don't feel his presence when we're here and we and we we just kind of get settled with it and that becomes the new status quo that's not god's desire for you church God's design for you is that you would walk vibrantly with the Spirit day in and day out. That His His Word would be like food to you. And that you you would let it nourish your mind and your heart to have hope so that you could address situations that you face in your life with truth. God wants to be so near to you. But sin always separates and if we don't begin with, with repentance and humility, then we can't experience the presence of God. Because of our sin, He will, he will in some senses, He will pass over us. And, and there, there could even be generations where there's no move of God. What do we do with that? We repent. We don't settle. I mean, this is what Micah was ultimately calling the people to. We don't settle for the status quo. When you, when you hear about God moving and God restoring and God redeeming and God taking what was broken and mending it together, and the, the person who looks at the Word of God by faith says, that's me, I want that, I'm broken, I need that, God help me. And you cry out and you seek His face, and nothing else matters as much as Him. That's real life. That's real Christianity. And if we settle for less, then we're not just we we're not just making a choice for ourselves, but we are choosing to raise our kids in a culture where they won't get it. That's the scariest part to me, honestly. That we could actually pass on a version of Christianity where God does not speak. Do you hear me? That's not just old t- that's real life today for many churches in the United States of America and that's why they're shutting their doors. And it could be us. It could be us. If we stiffen our necks and we don't come face to face before a living God who loves us and who sent His Son to die for us. If we just go business as usual, Christianity, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But He won't break His promises because at the end of chapter 1 and the end of chapter 2, beginning of chapter uh, chapter 4, which is where we're going to go to. In chapter 4, Micah turns his attention to a new day that's coming. A day in the future will God, where God will bring to pass His promises. Look we'll at chapter 4, verse 1. That it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and the peoples shall flow to it. So just get that in in your mind that there will be Out of the exile that is coming to the people, that current generation, that in generations in the future, that there will be a new Jerusalem that is set up like a city on a hill. And it would be a place of justice. Look at verse 3. That He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. That nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But, it, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Now, obviously, this is talking about some future time where there will be this new Jerusalem that is ruled by a different kind of king that is talked about in chapter 5. Go to chapter 5, specifically verse 2, where Micah prophesies this very familiar prophecy that we tend to look at around Christmas, right? But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is to be from old, from ancient of days. This is the new king of this new kingdom. This is the fulfillment of God's promises that when this new leader shows up, that his new kingdom will come. It kind of helps you understand why John, uh, 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 John, James and John's mother ask what she did. Because they were looking at these Old Testament prophecies and they are like, oh, well, the Messiah is here. Jesus is here. He's about to establish His throne. And Jesus says, oh, you're close, but not really. That's not what I'm doing right now. And we saw that last week in Isaiah with the suffering servant that Jesus came to suffer. But He is still. His coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Look at verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great of the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. You almost just, could just go into... It was almost like him and Isaiah were just rapping together. Like, and Isaiah says, And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. It's just this, this rich messianic... Prophecy that tells of this coming day. But what Micah says is that for this to happen, God will not overlook the sin of His people now. God must judge His people now so that the nations around you, Israel, can see that I will not tolerate your injustice. I will not tolerate your disobedience. You see, God desires... Obedience, therefore, God is a God of clarity. God desires obedience, and therefore God is a, is a God of clarity. One of, the, one of the things if you were to ask me, Ryan, can you sum up why Jesus came and what Jesus wants us to be? I would take you to Matthew chapter 22 verses 37 through 40, where Jesus Says, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourself." And on these two hang all of the law and prophets. Jesus perfectly encapsulates what Christianity is to be. Micah chapter six verse eight is the equivalent of Matthew twenty two thirty seven through forty in the Old Testament. You can, you should probably write that by uh, Micah chapter six verse eight. See also Matthew twenty two thirty seven through forty, because in Micah six eight. God answers questions like, what does worship look like? What does repentance look like? What does faithfulness look like? And in the context of the unethical treatment of people in Israel, Micah looks at him and says, you guys know what to do. Look at, look at verse 8. He has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love Kindness and to walk humbly with your God. You see, humility and repentance can be the only response when we recognize how far we are from that standard. That's what Micah wanted for Israel, and that's what the Spirit of God wants for us today. James chapter four verse six through eight says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Draw near to God and He will draw near. To you. You want to be near to the Lord when, when, he, when you feel like He's silent? Do you want to be right next to Him so that you can hear what His real priorities are when you feel like you haven't had a true encounter with God in, in weeks or months? Then humble yourself. Literally take the posture of humility, get on your face before God. And cry out to Him. Pray His Word back to Him. Use the Psalms as a pattern for how to repent. Use, a, use the Psalms as a pattern for how to praise and transition into the Lord's Prayer in the book of Matthew as you cry out to Him as He is your Father. Let the Word of God be your words when you don't know what words to speak. And in that way, draw near To the Lord. And in chapter 7, that's exactly how Israel is depicted. Israel is depicted as a broken and defeated person, crying out and longing for the mercy of God. But how has it happened? How can can the person who has disobeyed God cry out for hope? Micah shows us that it's based on the character and the promises of God. Look at the last few verses of the book Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. The end of it all, Micah says this. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show your faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abram, meaning that he will keep those promises that he gave to Jacob and Abraham. As you, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. And so what have we seen? We've seen Israel's brokenness, this idolatry that led to injustice, that led to the Lord's silence and His correction. We've seen that judgment. We've seen God's character and that He will not ignore sin, but he, would all, he will also not withhold mercy forever. We've seen God's promises, that our obedience is not fueled by our flesh, but what God has accomplished God has also promised to us and in that we find hope. And so just as we settle down with some just just this one point of application very similar to where we said last week one of the biggest differences between Old Testament Israel and New Testament First Baptist Church Abbeville, Alabama is that There's a change that takes place when a person trusts in Jesus, and that is the Spirit of God comes and takes up residence inside of you. And that Spirit of God, He leads you into the path of life that God has for you. He leads you into wisdom. He leads you into truth. As you consume His Word, as you believe His Word, He transforms you from the inside so that your life bears a certain kind of fruit. Galatians chapter 5 talks about what that fruit looks like. But it all begins, it all begins with being a worshiper. This is why when we went through the book of John, John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 are right beside each other. Because here you have Nicodemus who knew it all, thought he did, coming and trying to have a theological conversation with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you must be born again. You don't get it, Nicodemus, you don't get it. Nicodemus sought Jesus out and then Jesus in John chapter 4 goes and seeks the woman at the well out. Somebody who didn't have it all figured out. Somebody who was unworthy and she knew she was unworthy. That's why she was at the well in in the middle of the day. And Jesus engages her in a conversation and invites her to do what? To become a worshiper. To become a worshiper. So you put those two chapters together. You must be born again when the Spirit of God comes inside of you. Then what's the first thing He's going to lead you to do? Behold the Lamb of God. And so what habits of worship are you cultivating in your daily life? What are you beholding? What are you consuming with your mind? What is your heart fixated upon? You see, this is the stuff of our daily life. And yet if Jesus is not Lord of the little mundane 10,000 moments of our life that nobody sees, if Jesus is not Lord of those 10,000 moments, then He's not Lord of of our lives. And so today, today, hear His call. A, you have a broken world around you, and you feel broken on the inside. Let God mend you so that you can be an agent of restoration for the people around you. A. B. B If today that you've been a Christian, you've been a church member, you've been here for years and years and years and years and years and nobody's ever sat down and taught you how to walk with God, become a worshipper. Because that's the starting point. Like I said earlier, use the Psalms as a prayer book. Use that to respond to God. Read His Word and then respond with His Word. And let that be the, the spiritual conversation that you have throughout your day. It's not going to be easy at first. But if there's one thing that Satan wants to do to you, that's what we talked about in the college Sunday school class this morning doing the screw tape letters. If there's one thing that Satan wants to do to you, he, just want, he, he wants to make all of this just about emotion. And distract you from the real work of christianity and that you have to take you have to make a focused effort to grow with the lord if he can make you dissatisfied and say well i didn't really like that song or it's too hot or too cold in here for me or these pews are uncomfortable which i understand they can be at at some at some points but if when you come in here that's your main focus then you fall and pray to the devil's snare and so let this be a jumping off point for you into the rest of your week. God, I want to worship you. Just every morning, come to Him. I want to worship you. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to trust you. I want your Word to saturate my mind so that I can, I can get through some of these hang-ups and habits and some of, these, some of these deceptions, some of these stumbling blocks that I put in my own mind. I need your help to get them out. There's some of the fears that I've got in my life. Some of the struggles that I've got, there's only one answer start with worship. Become a worshiper of Jesus Christ today. It's easy to respond in that way. But I always want to encourage you to have a a way to physically respond, too. What has God required of you, O man? To do justice and to love mercy or kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Notice the word justice there is accompanied by the action word do, right? Justice is walking in the right way. Uh, one guy said uh, justice is what love looks like in public. And so if Jesus, if it truly is, if Jesus encapsulated Christianity by saying love your neighbors, yourself, then each one of these backpacks that you can take and open up and find a little list of school supplies that you can come and you can fill up and have back here by the first of july represents a real person and we got fifty three people going to new orleans that's that's crazy man me. I mean, i'm i'm incredibly blessed and petrified at the same time but we got 48 backpacks and we have a desire to make an impact through little things like this and this is where the whole idea of you doing justice comes into play i mean really how much easier can it get right but what has God called you to do, Christian? What, what can this backpack represent for you and your family as you take it and you fill it up with school supplies? It, it creates a culture of real response to the commands of God. And I don't know about you, but that's exactly what I want to pass on to my kids. Because I know, based on God's Word that we've seen today, that that's a real way to respond. And that's the kind of culture I want to create in my home. That's the kind of culture we want to create here in this church. And so become a worshiper, and worship is about obedience. So I would encourage you, we've got these backpacks up here. I want you, if you come take a backpack, I want you to put your name and phone number down uh, on the sheet of paper up here. Because uh, if we don't have it back by July 1st, I'm going to be able to call you, okay? (laughs) Uh, But this is a way you can respond. Many of you have done so already. We've got the school supplies. We've got 10 backpacks in the office. We're going to pack the school supplies you've already brought but I think we can do better. I think we can do more. And this is a way that you can take one of these backpacks and begin praying for that little boy or girl that's going to get that backpack. And so respond in these ways today. Become a worshiper and become a person that actually cares about justice in little ways like this. This is who we are as a church. And I praise God that we get to do this together.